Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. For me, it's a super creative process, and all of these technical things don't matter if it doesn't add up to serving the end result, which is the magic stuff. I am unwilling to give up. That I will start over from scratch as many times as it takes to get where I want to be. I want to be. You just want to make sure you will get knocked down, but just make sure you don't get knocked out. Knocked out. Knocked so your out. only choice should be go focus on what you can control. 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 Hi everyone, and welcome to the Kara Golden Show. Show. Join me each week for inspiring conversations with some of the world's greatest leaders. We'll talk with founders, entrepreneurs, CEOs, and really some of the most interesting people of our time. Can't wait to get started. Let's go. Let's go. Hi, everyone. It's Kara Golden from The Kara Golden Show, and I'm super, super excited to have Emily Lazar here. Emily Lazar is the founder and president of The Lodge, which is a renowned audio mastering facility where she is the founder and the chief mastering engineer. So cool on so many (laughs) levels. And uh, we actually met through uh, my cousin, Spencer, um, and they have a connection from their college from Skidmore. Shout out to Skidmore. Woohoo! Very, very cool where they are both alums. And Emily, you may not know her name, especially if you're not in the music industry, but you've definitely heard some of her music over the year that she, years that she's been involved in. And she's engineered over 4,000, 4,000 albums. I mean, what is that, right? I, that's just, I mean, a total rock star. So amazing. And she's been nominated for a Grammy eight times, winning in 2019 for Beck's album, which was absolutely amazing. And Colors, the first woman to uh, win an engineering Grammy for a non-classical album as well. And this year, uh, three of the Album of the Year Grammy nominations were engineered by Emily as well. So, I mean, complete, complete rock star on so many levels. Um, such a historic achievement. And Emily is making her mark in music by launching We Are Moving the Needle. And it's a nonprofit that she'll chat a little bit more about. So I'm so excited to find out how Emily went on to do what she's doing and working with artists like one of my favorites, the Foo Fighters and David Bowie and Dolly Parton. I mean, the list goes on and on. So welcome, Emily. So excited you're here. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yes, I'm excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Very exciting. So tell me a little bit more about little Emily. I mean, did you always know that you were just going to be doing what you're doing? And and did you have this love for music from the beginning? Yes. I mean, I didn't know that I was going to be a mastering engineer per se, but I knew that I would be 
somehow in, in music or in the arts, um, for sure. And, uh, I grew up in a very musical household. My mom was a guitar teacher and my dad was a very big music appreciator. And so, um, it was very, I thought it was normal the way that I grew up, um, with, you know, my mom teaching guitar out of the house and, you know, my dad running up to me and throwing headphones on me and telling me to listen to a certain part of a song. I thought that everybody had that kind of experience. So <laughs> Little fun. did I know. So, um, yeah, I, I, I always kind of, and I became a songwriter and an artist myself. And, um, I think, uh, you know, um, Spencer probably, uh, can attest to having seen me play live, which not many people can, because, um, I kind of switched gears and got behind the scenes, um, pretty quickly after college. But yeah, I, um, I, I always, I was kind of destined to, to be in this. Although there are so many aspects to my personality that I think there's lots of things I could have done. And there's lots of things that I'm interested in that I dabble in now. And I have um, a lot of interest in business and I um, do a lot of consulting for technology companies and, uh, and the like. And I'm very interested in the forward facing newer things that are coming down the pike. That's super interesting to me. When you went to college, just to, to, Give me a little bit of insight into this. I mean, what did you major in? I majored in English, creative writing, and music. Interesting. And then the technology side of it, was it, I mean, were you taking classes in that? Or where did you feel like you learned that? So my experience was one where there were not really any women taking any of those kinds of recording classes or, you know, the the tech STEM-based music classes and um and i i as i was in a band and i was writing songs and i was really interested in the production side of things and so when we went into the studio i had to rely on um the people that worked in various studios or if we in college if we were in the studio at school it wasn't really my place you know because i didn't i didn't know anything about that and i didn't grow up um, playing with equipment and plugging things in. And so I was really more on the creative arty, um, write the song, be the performer side. And I was super frustrated because the things that I was hearing inside my head were not coming out in the recordings. And because they were my songs that I was writing, there was this huge disconnect. It was like, um, you know, being... Shipping can make or break a sale. So optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com. We make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com. Uh, a painter and having a box full of paints and no brush, <laughs> you know, no tool. And so, so interesting. Um, yeah. So, um, and, and I had to get over, a, a, you know, hurdles and things to get to that point, um, where 
um, I was comfortable enough to even learn because it was so off-putting and there were so few women and it was so male-dominated. And not just that it was male-dominated, it was also, you know, not welcoming. It wasn't just that it was all men, it was that it wasn't really inviting in any way. So interestingly enough for me, when I identified that I could study this stuff and that it was, there was a whole world of this that I didn't even know about, I was voracious. And so I had to know everything. And not only just because I was so interested, but because I knew that I had to be confident enough to withstand any of the barbs that would be coming my way and not be able, not be pushed around or knocked off my block and be able to commit to having the confidence to, to um, follow through on everything else in my life that I had a lot of confidence in, you know, getting up on the stage and singing a song or writing a song or having ideas was not my problem. It was more translating them into this language that I didn't have a handle on. I didn't know the jargon. So um, once I, once I kind of got the tools to play the game, I, I was a lot, a lot better off, but no, I was not, you know, gr- you know, groomed to <laughs> know how to do this at all. Well, it's, you know? so, it's so fascinating. One of the things that I talk about in uh, a lot, and I talk about it in my book is that actually not having the experience when I went into the beverage industry, I had, gr- I grew up in tech and thought, you know, had a great career in tech. And then suddenly I wanted a drink that didn't have sweeteners <laughs> in it. And so I assumed that I had to go find all these people who had worked at Pepsi or Coke or if somewhere in the beverage right. industry to help me figure it out. And what I realized is that they completely discounted that I would ever be able to do it. I was a waste of time. Forget about that. I was, you know, female. I mean, we didn't even get that far. It's just that I didn't have the right resume. And so therefore I was a waste. And, and so I, you know, knew that I was vulnerable, right. And that I was, I, I, every day I was exhausted because I was learning so much because I didn't go in thinking I have all this experience. And what I share with entrepreneurs today is that, well, you have to sort of know your audience and know who the competition is out there, that it's often the people that are the most curious and the people that actually share sure. the vision that are the ones that you should really worry about. Yeah, I think those are the those are the people. I mean, and this is like a proven thing, right? Those yeah. are the people that are the disruptors. Those are the people that are the innovators. The, you know, um, and so yeah, that's kind of how I um, in my company there was a um, and and what I do there was a very tried and true way that you did this, mm-hmm. and I approached it totally differently as well. And I took a lot of flack for it in the beginning, but um, really kind of did my own approach to something that was approached in a purely technical way before I actually brought a whole creative spin to, and, and kind of like this art form and, and, you know, with, as with the advent of newer technologies kind of started to use them even further in that way. And people were like, Oh, what is she doing? You know? And, um, and obviously yeah. ended up getting noticed for it with all of your Grammy nominations as well. So can you, Explain a little bit more about what is audio mastering. Um, Okay, so mastering is taking a piece of music after it has been recorded. There's a a couple processes that happen first, and it's a kind of a collaboration. It starts in the beginning with the song, right? Somebody writes a great song or 
any song for that matter. Yeah. We hope it's great. And they um, come up with a way that they're going to record it. They think about what instruments they might want or how they want it to sound in a kind of um, inspirational way, right? And then maybe a producer comes along and tries to translate that vision with that person if they can't do it themselves into, I think you should put strings, you know, a string section here or horns or, you know, whatever, or we need more electric guitars than, than what you're doing, whatever that is to kind of like flush out, let's use the painting analogy Mm -hmm. again. Right. So like you could, you know, a songwriter could write a song and it could be like all in shades of blue, but there could be so many different shades. And all of a sudden, maybe a producer says, you know, what would be amazing if we did like this one streak of yellow and that would really make your other blue stuff pop out because you'd see it more or whatever. So it's kind of like this idea of creating that picture orally. And so there's the artist who, the person who writes a song, the artist, the performer, the producer, the mixer, who takes all of that paint and stuff and says, really, we need this much blue here and this much yellow here. And it should be on this kind of a canvas in this kind of a frame, right? And then you get to the mastering stage, which is where the mastering engineer would be the person who kind of does like post and film. But so with keeping with this analogy, the mastering engineer would make sure that that picture has all the right tints, that it's, you know, just blurry enough over here and just Um, you know, detailed enough over here and, you know, is as tall and as wide as it should be, that the frame is straight, that it's hanging on the wall and that it's presentable for anybody to go see it. So in music, that would translate to any format that you're listening on, which would be any of the ways that you could download it or have it, CD, streaming, vinyl, cassette, any of these other things that, you know, you could listen to music on. And within the streaming world, there's multiple ways to listen to um, stream music, which consumers may not totally um, know right off the bat, but like listening to uh, Spotify is different sound quality than listening to Apple is different than listening to Tidal. They all have different unique things about them. So as a master engineer, you create that final master for each of those formats so that it will sound the best and translate on all those different things, as well as in a giant um, club, it should sound great and it should also sound great on these, right? So, and it should, you know, sound great on the little um, speaker that you're streaming it to, that you, you know, at your party when you're not really paying attention, that should do the right thing as well. And it should sound great in your car. So there's all these various places that it has to work and and, and work at, at its best you know, capacity. So that's what a mastering engineer does. And there's lots of ways to get there. And I you know I have my own way that I kind of um, think is the way that works for me to do it. And hopefully the artists that I work with feel that it's <laughs> accomplishing the task, but it is, um, for me, it's a super creative process and always, always, always goes all the way back to serving the song. And for me, that's really easy because I was an artist and a songwriter. So that's where I come from in my mind is that the end of the day, all of these technical things don't matter if it doesn't add up to serving the end result and making you the listener, like the hair on the back of your neck stand up or that moment where you're like, Oh, wow, that was so cool. Or, Oh, I just love this song. I have to hear it 42 times in a row. That, that feeling, right. Which is, you know, the magic stuff. 
you went from the front end, right? The creative, right? And to to really being the behind the scenes. What's yeah. that like? I mean, did you initially do it just to kind of help out, um, but then just found that you really enjoyed it? I didn't do it to help out. It was purely selfish. It was my stuff that I was working on. That was, the okay. Like that was the, that was the, the point of entry was I want control over my artistic production. I like, love it. I want to be able to, uh, you know, I don't want to just tell somebody, I want it to sound like this, know what I mean, and then have them give it back to me and it fall flat. I wanted to be the person to kind of get to that place. And, and there's a big part of that in, in the production side of music. I mean, there's, there's a lot going on. So I, um, I think it was completely motivated by selfish, um, you know, selfish endeavors of me wanting my stuff to sound a certain way. You know, it's also really interesting hearing you talk about this too, because even running, you know, my own business and something I share with other um, entrepreneurs and, and founders is that understanding every aspect of the company. It doesn't mean that you have to do it every single day, but I would imagine that there's so many artists out there that are, you know, on the front end or however you describe it of, you know, the creators, but they don't really understand this other stuff. That's for an engineer. That's for this. And how important do you think it is for an artist to really understand these other aspects as they grow their career? I think it's really important. I think it's it's vital, actually. Um, and it's a lot for, for you need a team for sure. Mm-hmm. And I think um, the most successful artists that, that I know that I've worked with have identified what they're good at mm-hmm. and how to quickly delegate to get the results that they want out of the people around them and find the best team. Like I said before, it's a collaboration. So even just assembling a great team, just as a business person, assembling your team is a huge part of win- winning, right? Mm-hmm. Like you have to have a great team. You cannot do everything yourself. But being able to speak the language that your teammates are operating in is really important or you won't be heard. You know, and you it won't you it's like everybody doesn't have a magic decoder ring to just <laughs> think like they know exactly what you're thinking or how you want something to go. So, um, you know, for an artist, I actually personally when I'm working with artists, I prefer that they speak to me in colors and in ideas. And like, I wanted this song to sound like a sausage pizza, but it actually sounds like a roast beef sandwich and it is not happening for me. Like that would be great. Cause I can go like, okay, I, I totally get what they're saying. You know, I get it. Right. I can, I can pull something out of that. That makes sense to me. Um, sometimes when people who are not really technical speak tech talk, it, there's something gets lost in translation, right? They, the vibe and stuff is missing and then the magic is gone somehow. Right. And, and like, if somebody said to you, you know, this flavor, I really wanted it to taste like red, you know, and it's like, it's like blue, it's like purple or blue. It's not Mm -hmm. red. And you'd be like, I get that. I get it. I get what you, right. You there's, it would tell you something. It would indicate something. Right. And so for me, that's the kind of dialogue that I kind of promote with my clients and with the producers who are calling me to do, to do what they need to kind of cross the finish line. I'm like, um, you know, before when you were asking me what a mastering engineer is and does like technically I told you, but, um, you know, I feel more like a midwife. I feel like 
I'm helping or, or, or an OB or something. I'm helping somebody have a baby. And it is as nerve wracking and as scary. It's like unveiling a new product or something. Will they like it? You know, will people like my baby? Will they think my baby's ugly? Do I like my baby? Do yeah. I think my baby's well, ugly? Well, it's I mean, the icing these, on the cake, right? right? It's uh, yeah. right. It exactly. is truly, you can make or break uh, yep. these, these yep. uh, a, a, an artist. And so, so who was the first that you worked outside of, uh, for outside of your own material? I don't even know who to, who to pick. I mean, you know, I've worked with like luminary visionary people like Lou Reed and David Bowie and the Beatles and, and the stones and stuff like that. And, um, and I also worked with people like, like looking around the room for cues. Cause I have posters. I love in here. it. I love <laughs> um, it. It's so cool. Yeah. Like, what was it like um, working David Bowie, I have an amazing picture in, in my house. That's a signed, uh, incredible piece that I actually found in a um, store in Dublin, um, Ireland. And uh, I just, I cherish it. But uh, what was it like working with David Bowie? I mean, I have, I have a lot of incredibly fond memories of working with him and the producer that was involved in that album was famous um, Tony Visconti. And it was a Oh, we actually did two albums together, did two albums for David and uh, and some stuff in between. But he is very, very charming and very funny. And, you know, as a, that, that itself is, you know, slightly off-putting because, you know, when somebody of that level walks in the room, I think you feel the need to hopefully be, you know, making sure they're happy and laughing and you're entertaining them. And he was very, so, so aware of everyone else in the room and he was entertaining all of us. He was kind of like that, all the world's a stage kind of person. Like he walked in and he was just on and, and really funny. And so the, the funny story that I have was that we were working on the album and, and he had just seen an episode of um, the Osborne uh, reality show. And it was the moment he, he was imitating Ozzy Osbourne is doing, you know, yelling at Sharon, calling himself the Prince of, of Darkness, you know, and, and going on this whole rant about, you know, flying in the room on this um, thing and how he didn't want to do it. And, and um, you know, yelling at her as she was the manager at that point in time. And, and, but, the, but all of a sudden I, I got, you know, I went, oh my God, is this reality? Like David Bowie is imitating Ozzy Osbourne and I like look around the room. There's no one else in the room. He was just trying to make me laugh, you know? And I was like, what just happened here? This is the whole world is upside down, but he made, you know, he was the kind of person that made you feel very comfortable so that you didn't, you know, it it was only like in a flash that that came to me because it was just really funny and he was no really normal guy, you know? And you, he made, made you feel so comfortable that he was, you know, David Bowie wasn't in the room anymore. Just this funny, charming, cool guy was in the room. But then it, it wasn't lost on me later. And I was like, wait, that was crazy. That's, so you know? cool. That's <laughs> yeah. awesome. And so you started your facility, The Lodge. And and why did you decide to do that versus just freelancing and kind of working on other people's right. work? I mean, you've... Yeah, I worked at another company. I, and I, of course, was the only woman and the only woman that they had ever hired, the first woman that they had ever hired. And... um the most polite way to put this is that it's really great to work for someone else so that you can create the roadmap for how you would do it if they're not doing it, it very well. Right. So it was very easy for me to kind of say, 
this is a problem. This is a problem. I don't like how they're doing this. I don't like how they're doing that. And, and who knows, you know, I, I just was, had convictions about how people should be treated and being, you know, um, empathetic leaders and, you know, just a lot, a lot of things that I just wasn't getting there. And so, um, that was easy actually. (laughs) So it was kind of, it's kind of funny. It was like, it was like the best handbook I could have ever had. Um, and it made me not make any of those mistakes. I made plenty on my own, um, but um, I didn't make those. Uh, so that was kind of, that was good. Um, so yeah. And I started my company when I was, um, 25 years old and I always say that it was the best time to do that. A lot of people, you know, think that maybe it's crazy to start something so young or, you know, you don't have all this experience under your belt. You're not, you don't have the gray hair yet. And I say gray hair is overrated. And uh, so I dye mine. <laughs> and, um, I love it. and so, but, you know, I, I think that being that age was very freeing because it allows you to kind of go for it in a way that, you know, wisdom and experience may hold, hold you back a little bit because you maybe wouldn't be as risky. You know, you wouldn't be as risky, but like, I don't know about you, but when I was 17 and in high school, I think my parents probably thought I was intolerable. And I can say this because I have a 17 year old now. And I remember this moment where I knew everything you couldn't. I mean, I just knew everything. And when at that time I was 21 through 25, forget it. I mean, I just had it so dialed in. Now, as a person who has managed to actually see a little bit of success and, and do some things, I'm like, hmm, and I'm far more thoughtful about stuff than I than I was then. I was a very in, very keyed into my gut instincts younger, and I think I'm, I still am. I still rule by my gut, but I I have a little more uh, thought going on I think than I did then. And so I always I, I mean I always say to people to to kind of go for it when they're you know, hemming and hawing and stuff and they're young. I'm like, what's going to happen if it doesn't work out? You just reinvent yourself and do something else. I say the same thing to people who are 50 and and beyond as well. Like, okay, so it doesn't work out. Wake up and do something else. It's not the end of the world. Try, right? What's the worst thing can happen? It doesn't work. Okay, move on. You know, like it's not such a big deal. But, uh, but I know that it is a bigger deal when you, when you're, when you have more kind of hanging on your shoulders. So, uh, you know, I've thought about it a lot, like what kind of propelled me at that age to have such, I don't even know if courage is the right word, but it was kind of courageous. I didn't think of it then. I kind of totally thought of it. Courageous. I didn't have a choice. Yeah. Well, here's the thing though. I didn't have a choice, right? Because mm-hmm. no women were getting the positions that I wanted. No women were leading in the field. No women were even being hired. And I didn't see myself ever getting out from, you know, a base level in the career or in the field at all. And, um, and I knew that I had more to offer. And so I didn't want to just be kind of like stuck there. I, d- I didn't have a choice really. I didn't, I mean, I, that's is the truth. So. Well, yeah. I love it. And I'm, <laughs> I'm a, a huge believer that if the opportunities aren't there for you, then you go out and create them. So, and right to end this year, I just heard the statistic that 4.2 million people are going out and uh, becoming entrepreneurs. It's amazing. I love it. I think that 
the pandemic has uh, spurred a lot of people to kind of rethink a lot of things. It's a lot of silver linings, right? Right. And, and I think it's really, really exciting. Um, and I'm sure there's some scared people out there thinking, I don't know if I'm doing the right thing or not, but I'm going to go out and try. And as I say, live undaunted. And I mean, clearly what you've done sure. is you've trailblazed this. And, and um, I think once you start making progress and, and seeing kind of what you're doing, it's easier to look back on, on this and say, well, I was scared and now I'm, I'm still scared and I'm learning. And every time I expose myself to new things and learning things, I think that the other thing I did a little research on you too. And, um, and the other thing that I've learned about you is just your work ethic. And it's something that I'm constantly sharing with people that even when you're in environments, for example, that you may not find perfect, right? Um, You have to keep your head down and and really do great work and be kind and all of these kind of, Mm -hmm. you know, basic things that I'm sure when we were 17 years old that, you know, it was just your parents saying, um, oh, you know, whatever, like you have no idea what's going on, but that kind of stuff, it ends up following you and in a good way for for you. And I think you're really known for that. How have you seen that, you know, be really important? And I'm sure you've probably seen people who have kind of been bitten um, by not acting properly along the way as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think, I mean, everything that you said resonates with me really deeply. And I think that um, keeping my head down and staying focused and working was essential to my survival in this area. And, you know, now today, there are um, today, if you can even believe this, 2% of the um, women producers and engineers are female. Like two, 2% are women. Mm-hmm. Like 98% are men. That's even a better way to say it. Wow. 98% are men. So that has to completely change. But it was worse before. I mean, I know this in my heart. I don't have the metrics because there was no data because there were so few of us that nobody even said, hello, how many of us are there? But um, there were, you know, I, when I think about it, um, I, I guess I, I realized that um, it was, it was part of my work ethic any, any way to kind of behave that way, but I had to, or I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have, I, I wouldn't have made it right. Because mm-hmm. I had to keep going and keep, you know, keep working and, and, and not get sidetracked by distractions really. Mm -hmm. And, um, there were a lot of distractions and there always are. And there was lots of people that should be called out for doing terrible things and behaving poorly. And, um, you know, there's a, I'm, I'm very energized by the new, you know, the women that are coming up and that have the ability to call out that behavior I'm so glad that we've created an environment, hopefully with some suffering of our own as we as it trickles down to them that now that they can kind of like raise their hand and say, no. Yeah, no. Um, more. not having it. Yeah. Which is great. And I'm always really um inspired and excited for for them because, you know, they're the badasses of tomorrow and and we need them for sure. And I just wasn't, I don't know about you, but I didn't feel the ability to do that when, 
you know, 20 years ago. It just wasn't, I couldn't, or I would, or I wouldn't be in, I wouldn't be talking to you today about this. I maybe would be talking about something else, but I wouldn't have been talking to you about this because um, I wouldn't have been able to survive, you know? Do you feel that the music industry, when, when artists are searching for an engineer, do they look for women? I mean, do you, or do you feel, I mean, I, I always think that it's important you have to be able to stand on your own, right? And and actually be really, really good. But I'm I'm curious if if people are are looking for women to support other women. I mean, obviously they're probably excited when they meet you, um, in particular that you <laughs> are a woman and that you're, you know. Well, they're they're really hard to find, yeah. you know. And yeah. also like this is a new thing that women are even women were the minority in all aspects of the mm-hmm. industry as artists, as the whole, the whole business people, the whole way. So what I'm, I'm really thrilled about are like the, there are men that work with me because I'm good and not because I'm a woman or because, you know, they work with me because they heard that I'm good from so-and-so or they do a, a kind of like a blind taste test between me and someone else. And they go, wow, this is great. And we want to work with you. I think that the problem for women engineers is that there aren't enough of them and they aren't getting hired. There's a, there's a history of not hiring them. So um, I'm doing the best that I can to try to facilitate recommending people for jobs and, and um, connecting people. And, and, and uh, you know, as you said, in the intro, I did start this initiative called we are moving the needle, which is so it came about because this year, um, this past year, uh, I was nominated for three album of the year Grammy award Yay, nominations, congrats. which right, super exciting. And, um, the interesting thing about that is that it was all in one category, which is the biggest category album of the year. Right. So that's a, that in and of itself was surreal and crazy for me. It was and what for, was the album? Right. Just Heim, Coldplay and Jacob Collier. It's amazing. So um, those three albums and each of those albums, super incredible, very unique, all really storytelling types of um, works and, and all albums I'm really, really proud of being a part of. The The interesting thing about those nominations was, and it was brought to my attention by someone else, was that this was the first time that a mastering engineer was ever nominated for three separate nominations in one in that category an album of the year or in it i think it may have even been in any court category but definitely Amazing. an album of the year um and the only other people that kind of matched that concept in the album of the year category were um pharrell and rick rubin who right so this was a very surreal moment for me and it was the first time that i really felt that i had done something amazing and different because every other time, five other times that I've been nominated, it was a ceiling breaking moment. First woman who, totally. first woman who, first woman. And so I would get these, these um, questions from the press. What does it feel like to be a woman in the music industry? What does it feel like to be a woman, the first woman to blah, blah, blah. And I get very frustrated because, you know, how about we talk about the record I made or the artistic choices we made or, you know, what what I'm do what what this is right. about not right. like the fact that I happen to be a woman, and it was really troublesome to me. And it and when I got the three this past year, um, and I've been doing this for a while, not my first rodeo. I all of a sudden 
realized that I had discounted all of those other nominations before because the immediate response was, hey, it's so great. You broke a ceiling. You're the first woman who blah, blah, blah. So all of a sudden it felt like, oh, I didn't really, there are all these men already did it. So like, whatever. I didn't give it like the same credence that I should have. You know, I was yeah. look, I was happy. I thought it was awesome, yeah. you know, right? But I, I, there was this twinge of like, oh, hmm, okay, right? It's not that, whatever. And so on this one, I was like, oh, I actually did something cool. Like, this is crazy because I'm not being compared to women, men, this, that, you know, this weird kind of thing. Anyway, as this was happening, I kind of realized that in my heart of hearts, I knew that we weren't there yet. I knew that the numbers from the Annenberg inclusion study, which had come out, uh, I think two years prior at the time, um, which had said we were at 2.6% of the, of the industry was producers and engineers was, was women. I knew that it was still really low. I didn't know that it had gone down at the time, but even at 2.6%, I was pretty disgusted. And I had been already like speaking on lots of panels and trying to be very visible and be very helpful and in hiring and helping and doing everything I possibly could to give back and volunteer. And so I had received a phone call from someone who, who um, ran, runs a very um, awesome school in Nashville called Blackbird Academy. And the person is John McBride. John McBride is married to Martina McBride, who's the country um, mm-hmm. artist. And he had started this academy out of Blackbird Studios, which is a very famous Nashville, very mm-hmm. large, incredible studio. So John, on the phone, we're having this conversation, and he says, you know, I haven't had a female applicant in two years. And this was like like probably in January at some point. And I couldn't breathe. I was like, no, how is that possible? Marches on Washington, you know, people wearing pussy hats, me too. The the you know president and the CEO of the Recording Academy you know being taken to task and blah blah blah. What is going on? Why is this not? I'm speaking on every panel I can. What is happening? Right? It can't be. Not a person. Not one. I said, please tell me there was one, and she just wasn't good enough. Like you rejected yeah. her. No, no. I said, I said I would have taken her. I said, all right. He said, can you? can you get me women students? And I was like, well, that's not what I do, <laughs> but Why not? yes, I can. Yes, I can. I will. Yes. And so, um, he said, you know, I'll give you, you know, they have four terms in the year, four scholarships. I said, that's great. I want eight. I've always been the only woman in the room and I'm not sending someone down there to be the only woman in the room. You're going to have two. There's going to be two women bases in every class if you have not one. He was like, oh, genius. Yes, I agree. I agree. Fabulous. Great. And these are big scholarships. They're not, not like a nothing. Mm-hmm. So from there, I just kind of bloomed this thing into existence. And um, in a matter of uh, a few months, we launched on um, International Women's Day. And the same day, the Annenberg Inclusion Study revealed and was announced that the number had gone down. And I went, well, we couldn't have better timing with this. <laughs> this is very necessary. We need to, you know, get this thing going. And the, the initiative is all about, it's kind of like a fourfold thing. Education, which for me, we didn't really talk about this, but after going to Skidmore, I went back and I worked in a bunch of studios and it was pretty awful. And then I got my master's degree and got 
really, really intense on this, this specific um, technology with, with mastering and the art of mastering. And that was a kind of safe place for me to be a woman and be learning and you know, be in a safe place to do that and ask questions and um, be curious, mm-hmm. right? So I think that if the programs don't have women and they're not attracting women, there's obviously some sort of disconnect going on because I see lots of women who are really into it and I see lots of people coming to me and artists. And so there was some disconnect happening there. So we wanted to do that. We wanted to make sure that women had equipment in their hands, right? So women normally getting, you know, stuffed animals and unicorns and rainbows and makeup and stuff to play with that is all great. I love all those things, Mm -hmm. (laughs) by the way. But I wasn't handed, you know, a mixing board or a microphone or even an electric guitar. Boys are usually handed those things to plug in and play with. So trying to make sure that women have access to equipment so that by the time they get to the to getting a scholarship or getting to school, they are not a mile behind, you know, just trying to catch up on the on the equipment level. Mm-hmm. Then thirdly, I have a lot of really wonderful friends from the industry, from, you know, the Brandy Carlisle to Brittany Howard to you know, Maggie Rogers to all these amazing women, plus, you know, the Linda Perry's of the world, amazing producers and uh, just an incredible coterie of badass women who um, kind of came forth to me and said, yes, I, we're doing this with you. This is, a, this is a gaping hole we want to help. And so all those people are sitting on our soundboard So our soundboard is a place for mentorship for the scholarship recipients and they'll get one-on-one help and advice from day one all the way through into their career, which then takes us to the next thing, which is the employment, right? After all of this, we have to get them jobs. We have to get them hired. So that piece is going to happen through internships from various companies that have already dedicated specific seats for just, we are moving the needle candidates and um, trying to create a community where there was none. There was no alumni network. Like if I wanted to call an alumni network from college, right, I could. And if I said, okay, so I want to do, um, you know, mastering, they'd be like, great. There was no one for me to talk to. There was no, you know, there was no one to reach to. So creating, and, and I, and because I knew that, you know, painfully from my own experience, not only do people have no one to like reach up to, but it's also really nice to reach down and help, right? And we didn't have that. But I also didn't have this like side to side community with like, like minded women that I could talk to on my level. So it's created a, a really cool thing on, on, you know, and that wasn't the point, but it's, it ended up creating this really cool community with lots of incredible voices and smart, intense women who want to see change and want to see it fast. So um, so that's what we are moving the needle needle is all about. And um, and I'm so excited because it's been kind of going gangbusters and and it's been really rewarding to to see. I just I'm gonna I want that number to change in three, so we're at two percent now. In three years I wanna be at thirty percent. In ten years, I wanna be at fifty percent, and fifty percent of that fifty percent needs to be non white. There's just too much of a disparity uh, going on and and it's just not right. And if it's not there, you go create it. So Correct. I love that attitude. And I hope to see more and more people having that attitude, not only in their career, but in 
pulling other people up as you're doing with We Are Moving the Needle. And so amazing to have you here and just kind of share your experience. You're so inspiring. And plus, I, I already loved you because you're a Hint fan. And uh, Oh, beyond. Right? Watermelon, watermelon today. I happen to be a big fan of like the mint, the peppermint, which is very hard to find. Yes. Yes. We're actually out of stock on it right now. And I keep getting emails from customers. You see? <laughs> you know? you see? Yeah. I know it's, uh, it definitely is one that, that so many people mm-hmm. talk about. So I'll, I'll put That's your funny. request in as, as well. So noted. Where, where can people find out more about what you're doing and congratulations on all your success uh-huh. and everything that you've uh, really plow down any walls to go and achieve. You you truly are inspiring and shed so much light just on, you know, how far you can go if you just push forward and, and go out and create and figure out your own opportunities. You're just a living example of that. So where do people find out more about Emily and follow you, you? And also we are moving the needle. My Instagram is Emily Lazar Lodge at Emily Lazar Lodge. My, um, the company is thelodge.com and we are moving the needle.org is um, where we are moving the needle is. And we're also on Instagram too. And um, we invite everyone to participate. It's not a woman's organization. It's a holistic approach. So those male allies are not only invited, but they are cherished and um, have a lot to give and are a huge part of the solution. So we want them involved in a very big way. And um, we've got some cool announcements coming soon on, on that front. And uh, and I just want to thank you for having me, number one, because this was a really fun chat. And now you have to promise that you'll come be on my podcast when I start mine, because yeah. I want to ask you a million questions. Yeah, no, I, I would be honored. I would you're be. such a badass. And, um, and I love, um, you know, not only do I love the, you know, product that you created, obviously, but, um, you know, I love the story behind it. And I, I love that you were not taking no, because that's kind of where I sit too. And, and I don't understand when people take no, it's always very shocking to me when people say that, you know, oh, they said no. So I just, you know, kind of like, what? Is that yeah, you just no. have to figure that, out the no it, is to that attitude, right? So absolutely. um anyway, so I'm I'm thrilled to to get to talk to you and I am um you know grateful for the chance to get to mind meld with you because it feels very like simpatico and I love that. So yeah, no, I absolutely love it. Well, thank, thank you, you everybody for uh listening and and sharing um sharing our conversation overall with uh all of your friends please share this let people know about the Kara Golden show i i've uh, got some amazing amazing guests including Emily to come and share a little bit about her <laughs> career and her journey and uh and really showing everybody that if you uh, believe in yourself and push forward that that's the most important thing and and bringing other people up is is always a really really important aspect so thank you again and everybody have a great rest of the week before we sign off I want to talk to you about fear people like to talk about fearless leaders but achieving big goals isn't about fearlessness Successful leaders recognize their fears and decide to deal with them head on in order to move forward. 
This is where my new book, Undaunted, comes in. This book is designed for anyone who wants to succeed in the face of fear, overcome doubts, and live a little undaunted. Order your copy today at undauntedthebook.com and learn how to look your doubts and doubters in the eye and achieve your dreams. For a limited time, you'll also receive a free case of Hint Water. Do you have a question for me or want to nominate an innovator to Spotlight? Send me a tweet at Kara Golden and let me know. And if you like what you heard, please leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow along with me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn at Kara Golden. Thanks for listening. taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on that's nice at caskers.com we make this experience easy caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code welcome 10 for ten dollars off your first purchase get ten dollars off your first purchase with code welcome 10 at caskers.com